Live from the MacGyver Project Studios in sunny, warm Wisconsin, it's Nick with the Outstanding Authors Podcast. My guest today is screenwriter Randall Johnson. Uh, he was one of the writers of The Mask of Zorro, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, so we're going to focus on that. Um, I've always been a Zorro fan. Uh, I used to watch the old Disney show with my parents, the one with Guy Williams as Zorro. Um, the character always appealed to me. I like the man of mystery element, and also that he was a normal guy and that he didn't have any superpowers. So as a kid, I could envision myself as Zorro. Um, and I also liked the early Spanish California setting. And I was even Zorro for Halloween one year. Uh, but back to Randall. Uh, he lives in Portland, Oregon, and teaches screenwriting to clients throughout the world. Uh, you can visit him on the web at uh, randalljohnson.com, and that's Johnson spelled J-A-H-N-S-O-N. Uh, and with that, let's give Randall a call. Hey, Randall, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking to me today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about Zorro. I um, Normally, before talking about a movie, I'd rewatch it, but I've seen it so many times, I don't really have to. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it resonates with you. Yeah, it really does. Um, so how did you first get involved in, in the project? Uh, 
audience with him. You know? mm-hmm. And initially I had to show up at his, uh, his trailer, which was on the lot. Um, uh, and uh, he came, I, re- I remember this very well, he came uh, rushing in from the set and sat down with me for about uh, five or ten minutes. And he just, uh, he was, you know, exuberant, very energetic guy, very enthusiastic, and he was, uh, he asked me about the doors, he said, I'm not much of a rock and roller, but he said that, you know, he said, I looked at your script, and uh, thought it was really cool, and it's, the, the movie's getting a lot of attention, it's really cool, and um, so, how do you feel about Zorro, and I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm very interested, and he said, well, I really wanted to, to read like a, I, 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 I well, what we want to do is set it during the California Gold Rush. What is uh, what is what the new take on it was? And I said, "Oh wow, that's that's way cool." Um, I'm a big history buff, and so suddenly putting Zorro in the midst of history was very intriguing to me. And so I thought, "Wow, that yeah, that's really cool. I'd love the idea." Um, um, and he said, I, I want the movie to read like a, like a history lesson, like uh, I want the Bear Flag Revolt, uh, which was in California, essentially in California's history. That's when California became independent, <laughs> more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he said, I want the Gold Rush, the Bear Flag Revolt, all this, all, all this cool stuff from, from that era. And I said, well, that's great. And I said, I would love, my instinct here is to um, maybe make Zorro less of, a, of the, of the uh, uh, aristoc- or, or not, not the aristocratic, but make him more of a, uh, uh, go back to a real ethnic kind of Zorro, mm-hmm. um, much more uh, uh, with some mestizo uh, Indian blood in him, you know, um, and maybe really cool that's really cool I love that um, yeah let, let's do that <laughs> and then suddenly he gets a call from um, from the set and he has to go back to the set just as we're getting warmed up and having this discussion you know and he says look I got to go back to the set if I if I'm not back here in about 15 minutes um, just meet me over there okay yeah <laughs> sure yeah no problem <laughs> and uh, so he left and I just immediately go oh god please please Fisher come or walking up the steps to wow. 
And then I'm introduced to them yeah, very quickly, and they said, isn't Stephen here? And I said, no, he's over <laughs> I'm giving them directions. Said, no, he's, he's on the set. I'm just on my way. So, um, uh, so that was like wild, you know, uh-huh. meeting those two. Uh, very surreal. So then I'm ushered over there and, and taken inside, and, you know, this was pre-real CGI. So this was a, uh, a set with literally a cast of, you know, hundreds out there with um, all in pirate garb because this is where uh, Hooks Island was, and we were on the on the um, uh, on his ship. So I go, I'm, you know, led through this crowd of pirates <laughs> and literally cross the gangplank <laughs> onto the onto the set of the of the uh, uh, ship, and he has the camera set up and crew set up on the stern of the the pirate ship. So he waves me back there where he's set up, and then um, I meet Kathleen Kennedy, who at that time was not a producer yet, but was still his... uh, Oh, his assistant, mm-hmm. and but known to be very powerful within the company, and she was uh, very, very sweet and nice. And, um, and then uh, he says, "Oh, I want you to meet, you know, meet uh, Robin Williams." <laughs> <laughs> and then Dustin Hoffman comes over, <laughs> and Hoffman never broke character, so he was totally in in hook mode, <laughs> and outfitted out, and so. He, Put out his hook to shake. And <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just really one of these incredible, wow. magical uh, moments. Yeah. And certainly a high point in my career. But anyway, it was very interesting then to me that uh, uh, to, to watch Spielberg work. And so he was literally uh, doing takes, and then in between he, uh, the takes, he would turn around and continue our conversation uh, without missing a beat. Mm. Wow. N- never. Where were we? Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just like a conversation that was, um, you know, interrupted uh, intermittently with, with um, <laughs> uh, just hold that thought for a second while he would go and say, action, cut, and then turn right around and without missing a beat, just pick up right where we left off. It sounds almost like a chess player who's playing like multiple games at the same time, going from game to game. Yeah, he has, <laughs> he has one of those minds, I think, where he can compartmentalize so well uh, and concentrate so well and it was never it was never a case of of where I felt like he was distracted or his mind was somewhere else when he was looking at me and we were talking about it he was fully present and it was um, it was really an amazing thing to see I'd never seen anything quite like it Hmm. a lot of times you meet directors and, and they're they're really preoccupied or sometimes overwhelmed with, with stuff and details and everything that's going on on the set. And he was just so in his element. It was unbelievable. You know, it was just a, a remarkable thing to see. So anyway, uh, he liked what I had to say, um, and that meant essentially that I passed the audition. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it came down to a... Uh, a series of meetings in which I had to pitch them the story. So basically, they knew that they wanted to do a revamp of the franchise. They had to sort of reinvent the character. 
and they wanted to set it during the California Gold Rush. And but they essentially had no story. You know, those were the those mm. were the the puzzle pieces that were right. handed to me. And now they said, make something out of this. So of course you're never you're not going to say no. But then <laughs> after the exhilaration of the moment, they're like, wow, I got the gig, I got the gig. Then it's like, oh my god, I got to figure this out. Um, because to really be hired in earnest, then um, you know he had to approve the story. Did you know much about Zorro? Like, did you ever watch the old Disney show, or did you go back and and um, read any of the books or anything? Yeah, I went. I, I went back to. Um, well, I, I read the you know the Curse of Capistrano. Mm-hmm. Um, I J- Johnson McCauley's first you know piece on it. Um, I saw the old uh, Douglas Fairbanks version. Um, I used to watch the. Disney TV version with uh, it was Guy Williams, right? Yeah, I did too. Actually, I watched it with my parents when I was a kid. It was on the Disney Channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I watched yeah. it as a kid too. Um, I never like watched the Gay Blade, <laughs> Zorro the Gay Blade with with George Hamilton. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Any of those? Um, so it was it was about that far. What what was interesting to me? What what was much more interesting was to go back to Johnson McCauley's first bit there and then read a little bit about him and try to glean what his inspiration was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he he did he was a consummate Californian and he knew uh, he knew California history and although um, I don't think he ever really went on record to say that he was inspired by the legends of uh, the Gold Rush Bandit, Joaquin Murrieta. You can't live in California and not know those stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, from that time period. Um, even if you have a, just a, a passing interest in, in California history, it was, you know, especially Murrieta. So um, I started going then uh, researching like crazy about the Gold Rush, the world of the Gold Rush. And, and finding out as much as I knew as I could about Joaquin Murrieta. The historical record on this guy, Joaquin Murrieta, is 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 very scant. And uh, there was indeed a Joaquin Murrieta who was who was um, terrorizing the gold fields at that time. This is it, from from about 18, 1849 to maybe about eighteen fifty one or so. Um, and he. Victimized mostly the uh, the Chinese um, in the gold fields. Those were mostly, and probably because he knew that they wouldn't fight back nearly as as much as the whites would and, and other types. And by the way, I mean the, the the California Gold Rush was was a melting pot of humanity. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it spawned the greatest migration of humanity since the Crusades, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I found all these really interesting facts, like, you know, the first uh, ones to, to actually land in or, or respond and arrive in California once the news was out that gold had been discovered were Mormons from Utah and uh, um, Kanakas, uh, Kanaka uh, natives from Hawaii. Hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just really, really interesting. And the Chinese came, and, then, you know, it was just a flood tide of humanity of everyone coming to uh, California to try to um, become rich, make their dreams real. So anyway, um, there 
about this, but there were there might have been more than one Joaquin Murrieta mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. The one mostly it is he's considered to be a, a guy who was a Chilean from Chile, um, and he was definitely active and had a gang um, during that time period. Um, and anyway, uh, there was this guy named Captain Harry Love who became a who was a Texan um, immigrant. He was kind of a, a, a well, he wasn't kind of he was a racist like crazy, and took it upon himself to be and appointed himself as the ca- um, Captain Harry Love uh, and established what was known as the California Rangers, which was his idea of the Texas Rangers, the famed Texas Rangers. And he, you know, gathered up a bunch of guys, and it was their uh, self-appointed duty to hunt down Joaquin Murrieta and uh, and take him out, mm-hmm. stop the terror terror on the in the gold fields. And they think he probably took out maybe, you know, more than more than one um, Latino, maybe minor, maybe outlaw. We don't know. But uh, ultimately, he got one that was supposedly Joaquin Murrieta, and then um, he, was, he was killed in a gunfight, and then they cut off his head and put it in a jar of alcohol. And then he went out and began to uh, lecture about his exploits in tracking him down and, of course, uh, uh, really pumping up the volume in terms of what, what he did. This is a classic sort of you know, American story, right? And I just, uh, you know, I read about this, and this is, I just, God, this is a great villain. What a great guy to have as, like, a villain, you know, here and all that. And so what was interesting to me is then that after Joaquin had died, he his, his sort of status as a folklore hero began to rise. And partly what that was due was to, um, was, was to um, attributed to a guy named John Roland Ridge, who wrote um, a biography on Joaquin Murrieta um, that was published in the 18, you know, in the mid 1850s? And Ridge had been a reporter, a journalist for one of the San Francisco newspapers in the day, and he fashioned this story that was greatly embellished, um, but it became hugely popular and is really, I think, a, a large. Um, uh, was was a, a large reason why Joaquin Murrieta's name persists today, mm-hmm. and uh, and certainly it was a piece of literature or semi-literature journalism that uh, Johnston Macaulay would have read. He published the book. The book was very famous. The book went on to become, you know, a, a sort of a piece of California history itself. Johnston Macaulay, I'm sure, would have read it, would have been inspired by the notion of a nocturnal bandit, you know, racing around, uh, you know, the California um, hills. Um, and essentially, you know, what Roland Ridge did is he turned Joaquin Murrieta into Robin Hood. And I'm sure then Macaulay would have taken that spin and then spun it even further, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and. So it's fascinating to me to kind of backtrack and reverse engineer a lot of this story because, um, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, 
Well, as you know, I mean, it's sort of based on, a, on, on loosely on some history, and it's been criticized for not for having very twisted and confused <laughs> history. But the history has always been confused and veiled and mixed up and embellished in the first place. So mm-hmm. I just think it's just really fascinating. I loved, I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, it really like it's. Um... For me, one of the reasons why I love the movie is it's like kind of like mythology and legend coming to life, and and it's it's interesting to hear how much of it was based in real mythology, um, and I think that the the premise of uh, Elena Catherine Zeta Jones's character thinking that Don Raphael was her father. Um, Whereas Anthony Hopkins is her real father in the original Zorro, it was really a great idea, and I'd be interested to hear kind of, kind of that, kind of where you got got that from, and 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 just the, um, you know, another thing I really like about the story is just the kind of like it's it's very kind of epic and generational, and you know, it starts out where uh, Alejandro Murrieta is, is a young is, is is a kid, and he sees the Hopkins Zorro, and then he grows up to be Zorro, and it's got the student teacher, and it's got all these feuds going on and it's just really like an epic, epic yeah. story. Yeah. Well, the, this is part of that wraparound that I, I wanted to mention, yeah. which was that, um, so back to Spielberg, um, I had to go and meet with him semi-regularly, um, to really start, um, you know, getting a, I had to get a story that he liked and would approve and then go to work on it. Um, so the first two attempts that I went out and out to his offices on the Universal uh, lot, the Amblin uh, complex out there, um, my first two meetings out there were not good. Really? Uh, yeah, he he just shot down um, whatever shreds of a story that I had um, that I presented at the time, and honestly, I can't remember what those stories, uh, you know, what those scenarios involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've got notes on them somewhere, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in my my archive. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I I can't recall them now. That you know, again, this was like this is about ninety ninety one, I think ninety two. Um, uh, and you know, typically in this kind of a situation, you know, they don't have a lot of patience, so they'll give you like maybe three times at bat, and then um, then if you can't crack the story, they're gonna they're going to hire another writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I was really um, <laughs> chewing my uh, fingernails at this point because I knew that I, it had really come down to me probably going to bat one more time. And if mm-hmm. I, uh, if I you know, struck out, um, there wouldn't be uh, another chance. And I was scared to death, quite honestly, because I, this was the biggest gig of my life at yeah. that time, my life and career. And, uh, enormous amount of pressure uh, to come up with something that was going to work. But the problem was for me was that, um, as I finally realized, is that Zorro, the character of Zorro, as we know him, was uh, or existed in either Spanish or Mexican California. In, in other words, pre-Gold Rush. Because when the gold rush occurred, it was after the Bear Flag Revolt, <clears throat> and essentially California uh, was in the hands of the whites, um, 
and essentially all the um, land, the, the wealthy Latino landowners at that time, the Spaniards and the Mexicans, uh, were uh, relieved of their lands, mm -hmm. and the missions were secularized as well. And so it's almost like the, we were looking at two different eras that couldn't that couldn't jive. There was no way that 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 Zorro could exist as a wealthy Latino landowner in right. Gold Rush, California, because they just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know. So I started just like saying, it's impossible. Then how can I give them what they want or create a historical uh, inaccuracy that uh, I couldn't live with and and so it was trying to reconcile this problem and then literally it was like about the night before <laughs> I had to uh, meet with Spielberg again for the third for our third meeting and that's when I got wait a second wait a second you know it's not it's not one Zorro what if it's two mm -hmm. you know and then I said wait a second so I'm fighting against this whole notion so I, I suddenly I got wait a second the whole you know I start catching myself and just writing like crazy <laughs> and I worked out the scenario that you know we open and we see the classic Zorro in all his glory in in the Spanish or Mexican era yeah okay and he comes in and he saves the um, some some poor um, campesinos are going to be uh, executed by the evil governor mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, and we see these two little orphans who are um, being raised at the at the mission there, and uh, they're watching it as well. And then you know, and, but we've established them playing around as Zorro, you know, at first. So we we know that they're aware already of the of the you know of the <laughs> character. And uh, anyway, and Zorro makes his appearance. He saves the day. He saves the lives of these guys. But um, the crucial thing was that uh, these these two brothers, um, little Alejandro, is the one who um, not Joaquin, but Alejandro, the, the brother of Joaquin, Alejandro, yells to Zorro or saves him right at the moment when some guys are uh, some soldiers are creeping up behind him and ready to shoot him. And uh, mm -hmm. without his warning, he would have been toast. But mm -hmm. um, Gave Zorro a yell, and Zorro turns, and sa you know, saves himself, and then afterwards he awards Alejandro, you know, with this medallion that he used to wear. And then he rides off, and we see, you know, him, you know, the classic image of him on the rearing stallion, yeah. uh, you know, against the setting sun, and then he dips behind the the horizon, and that's where the story starts getting interesting because the moment he dips behind the horizon I have him slump I had him slump in the sa saddle mm -hmm. and we see that actually he's been shot he's been wounded and so anyway um, uh, that starts the ball rolling um, I so I worked up this whole scenario and that that you know we have this this um, this opening um, thing where we see the classic Zorro but then he was wounded in the fight, and that they um, uh, uh, he, it leads to his betrayal and or discovery by the uh, of his true identity by the evil governor, 
and uh, they show up and they take his child. Um, I did not have it that he killed his wife. I had it that he he was already um, a widow. A widow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so his daughter meant everything to him. And mm-hmm. then when they when she's taken away from him, you know, they do it right in front of him. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's a terrible thing. And so boom, he's hauled off to prison, and that's uh, and that's it. And then we cut to. 20 years uh, or more later, and the gold rush is in full swing, and we see Joaquin Murrieta and his brother and the rest of their gang, and they're um, they're robbing, and <laughs> they're being Robin Hood. Right. So they they uh, attack, um, they make robberies in the gold fields, and then uh, they give uh, uh, most of their uh, earnings uh, to the poor campesinos who've been um, uh, marginalized by the white miners, and uh, um, and then they're they are attacked and uh, by Captain Harry Love and the and the Rangers, and uh, Joaquin is wounded in a running gunfight, and Alejandra goes back and tries to get him, and uh, Joaquin says, "Go, go, go! Don't, don't, you know, keep going." And he, ultimately, he, he uh, Alejandro takes off. But he witnesses, you know, his brother killed and uh, brutally killed, and you know, his head severed um, by Captain Harry Love. And so it it uh, this was the scenario that I was working up, and so that ultimately, uh, Joaquin is. Um, I think what I, I what I had is that Alejandro fled. And then he he's still sort of being pursued or was being af- afraid that he was going to be pursued, and he ends up hiding out in the ruins of an old hacienda, mm-hmm. and that's um, and he's sleeping there in the middle of the night, and then um, he hears the uh, approaching horse, and uh, it's the old Zorro. Mm-hmm. Diego. Yeah, Don Diego. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and he thinks, okay, you know, I need a fresh horse. Here's an old man. I'm going to take his horse, and he tries to take his horse, and then Don Diego just like nails him with the, you know, his sword play is great. And so and he's just about to run him through, and that's when he sees the medallion around right. his neck. He said, "Where'd you get that?" And so basically, that was the scenario that I pitched to Spielberg. Mm-hmm. That morning, yeah. and um, what happened was, as I was pitching it to him, he was very quiet, and he was sitting there with his across from me on the couch, with his arms crossed, listening. And then, after every sort of story point, he would go yes and not, like okay, I got it, move on, <laughs> yeah, got it, move on, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, and there were enough yeses in a row where I, I started feeling like I'm playing some kind of a of a of a of a pinball game or something. I could hear the I could hear the points racking up, and I knew midway through it, I said, "I've got him! I've got him on the hook! I've got him on the hook!" And so then I, you know, I finished it out, and I didn't I didn't go into the subsequent story. It was just basically the setup of who you know the old Zorro, young Zorro, and that he's going to tutor him and all of this stuff. And he and at the end of it, Spielberg just leaped leapt up and. He said, I love it. I love it. This is fantastic. This right. is great. He said, do you think Sean Connery could play Don Diego? 
<laughs> and so that's um, that's how it went. Okay, and, wow. You know, so uh, that's how I, I had to reconcile this problem. This mm-hmm. is sort of this historical problem, which was, you know, how do you make a figure of a superhero from a different era work in the gold rush? You mm-hmm. know? Um, and that was how I did it. So, and you know, of course, Elena would be the big, the the big uh, Jeopardy and all of that. So that was 1991, right? So then, um, what happened between then and 1998 when the movie came out? Well, um, this is sort of typical for how things work in the in the screenwriting business, which is that uh, you know you're contracted usually for um, a draft or two drafts and a polish uh, of, of the script. And after that, they can either rehire you or they can fire you. And, mm-hmm. Or essentially, they just will move on and, you know, in another direction or whatever. So I wrote my three drafts, uh, working with Spielberg and uh, on all of them. And then when it came to the end of it, it was like... Um, just said, well, we think you've exhausted your potential on this, mm-hmm. and we're going to move on, and get, um, uh, it's time for us to move on, which was a euphemism for saying that we're going to fire you and get another writer on board, mm-hmm. and which wasn't good news, but it wasn't totally surprising either. Um, there were complications, the original development team that, I, that hired me, that I was working with, um, in, in addition to Spielberg himself, they left and, or got rearranged, and I was sort of in midstream, handed a new uh, development executive who urged me to go in a sort of a different direction. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't quite jive totally with, with what he wanted and what I wanted, and and anything, anyway, there was a lot of stuff that, that you know, a, a large portion of the story ended up in Gold Rush era San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, where it became more of a, of a uh, uh, urban kind of feel. You know, I wanted like a 19th century Blade Runner kind of feel to yeah. it, all of that, you know, <laughs> and very dark or not as lighthearted as the final version would be. Anyway, long story short, um, uh, I was relieved of duty, um, and uh, they went on to uh, other writers. Now, from what I was able to glean, there were a total of nine writers on the on the well, project. Uh, uh, yeah. So there were eight, eight more writers after me. Mm-hmm. Um, at least two of which were a team, and that was Rossio and Elliot. Um, mm-hmm. And there were, I think, ultimately about 32 drafts of the screenplay. Wow. Uh, all I remember is that when you stood next to them, they came up to about uh, at least my waist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. And it just that it took like seven years with all these different director changes and production, and it's it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, well, this is sort of typical. I mean, this yeah. was a very this was a very high profile movie at the yeah. time. You know, this is pre Marvel and and all this stuff where you know the the superhero mm-hmm. stuff, the comic book superhero stuff kicked in. 
So, um, you know, this was really kind of a, a the closest thing to a high-profile you know, franchise reboot yeah. that, they, that they had at that time. Mm-hmm. And then everything would change in about, you know, three or four more years, um, uh, whatever. But anyway, um, so, you know, I wasn't consulted or whatever, but I did have friends still that were working yeah. at Amblin, and they would occasionally uh, uh tell me about what was going on and they said that on more than one occasion they said that uh, they were in these these creative meetings and Spielberg would express his frustration with um, with whatever writer he had hired at that time saying you know we got to go back to Randall's script we got to go back to Randall's because it's not it's not working what they're doing yeah and and which was gratifying to hear but I just was thinking gosh you know why don't they just yeah. <laughs> me and hire me again? <laughs> it, was, it was frustrating in that respect. Yeah. But anyway, I, I waited it out and worked it out, or, or just, you know, that's what you did. And ultimately, um, I heard it was going into production. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had cast Anthony Hopkins, and I thought, wow, that's great. And um, I had been hearing, I didn't know what the script was like or anything until when uh, production ends um all this is this is protocol this is uh through the writers this has long been negotiated by the writers union the wga um the production companies and studios are always required to send the uh shooting script to every writer that worked on the project Mm -hmm. in one way shape or form and what their job is to do is to read the shooting script and then determine if there is um, enough of their material in that shooting script to warrant a credit on the film. And this happens for every film in which there have been more than two writers, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and, and not as a team, but uh, in succession. It's just a matter of Writers Guild protocol, what they do. Well, it was everyone <laughs> who, who wrote a draft of it one way or another uh, chimed in. <laughs> and so the whole thing then went into what was known as an arbitration within the Guild. And what that is, is an anonymous committee of veteran writers is uh, convened and it's their job to read all the drafts by all the participating writers in the arbitration mm-hmm. and weed through them all, and then they determine what the credit ultimately should be. Okay. And per Guild rules, only four writers on any given movie are allowed mm-hmm. uh, credit. Mm-hmm. So there were nine <laughs> uh-huh. Zorro.
I mean, it's it's a big thing. So it's, it was no wonder that they were all kind of fighting and clamoring for, um, uh, you know, credit in one way, shape, or form. Hmm. Anyway, um, and all writers are uh, are allowed, all participating writers are allowed to submit a, a kind of a deposition, if you will, a statement as uh, stating why they feel they deserve credit. Anyway, I went through that process because I felt very strongly that I that there was much of my story still in there. It wasn't a whole lot of dialogue, and they certainly had changed a lot of the plot uh, mechanics uh, mm-hmm. in order to meet their kind of story scenario um, uh, needs. But the central architecture, the old Zorro, the young Zorro, the daughter being the Jeopardy and mm-hmm. the love interest, and Captain Harry Love being, you know, one of the the main antagonists, and right. um, all of that, you know, that was still intact, and um, and a, a, a shred here and there of my dialogue, like the scene when when Harry Love invites uh, Alejandro to sit down and have a drink. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's 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 pretty much my scene. They, yeah. they reworked a little bit of the dialogue there, but mm-hmm. uh, I always thought that would just be a particularly grisly thing where yeah. you force them to drink out of it. Yeah. And uh, um, so, um, anyway, the... It went through arbitration, and then ultimately it came down then uh, where I received uh, shared story credit with John Escow, mm-hmm. or was it with Rossiano Elliott? I can't remember now. Um, and uh, and then screenplay went to Escow and Rossiano Elliott. Yeah. And of course, none of us had ever met one another. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it would have been, and it wasn't until. Um, film was actually poised to be released, yeah. the Writers Guild had a, um, they used to have these quarterly parties, I, I, maybe they still have them, in which they bring, um, uh, they bring uh, writers uh, who have significant movies coming out, uh, uh, they throw them together with, uh, with members of the press. And uh, so that they can be interviewed. It's a cocktail party, and you know the the guild likes to show off their writers, and it's a good PR kind of thing for everyone involved. And so they did. A, we were Zorro was part of you know whatever slate of movies were coming out that quarter, that half of the year, and it was the first time that where Rossio and Elliot and Escal and I had actually <laughs> laid eyes on one another, uh. and. Uh, so it was, it's always fun to sort of compare notes, and and uh, Rossi and Elliot and I, we got in a the corner there at one point and just started talking a little bit about well who did what or whatever, and and they said wow you came up with the old Zorro the young Zorro, <laughs> and I said yeah, and they said well we always thought Spiel that was Spielberg's idea, uh, <laughs> and I'm like oh really God. <laughs> You know, I mean, this just shows how things are. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy and, and all of that. Um, the writers who did not get credit, mm-hmm. more than one of them was very, very angry yeah. uh, about the decision. And, uh, that, you know, 
is interesting. It's always a matter of debate. It's a subjective process that the guild goes through. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it's um, it's better than leaving it in the hands of the studios. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about that um, in determining the credits. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, did you did you work on the, the tango scene at all? Do you remember that? Um, no, I. Um, I mean, not as it was fully realized. Okay. There. Um, I think I had some bit with them dancing. Yeah. Uh, at, at some point. Um, okay. Because I. Um, I think I had the old Zorro. Don Diego having to teach uh, Joaquin um, some dance steps, mm-hmm. and it was a big. The the, the big thing was that um, you know Don Diego was aristocratic. He was well educated, and yeah. he um, you know he was a man of the world, and he was debonair. And uh, and the problem then with Joaquin was just that he was brash. He was an orphan. He had no manners. He was crude, but he also had great heart, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and certainly motivated for revenge and all of that. So Don Diego had to take this diamond in the rough and you know burnish him and fine tune him, you know, into something that was um, uh, uh, worthy of his legacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so we could see that passing of the torch. And also, this was, I mean, this was another thing that really excited me once I got the idea, is that we'd never seen a movie in which the superhero had to pass on the mantle. Right, yeah. To, to, to mm-hmm. someone else. It, it wasn't a birthright. Right. He had to train them. Yeah. He had to do it, you know. And, and here, here's another quick thing. When, when I pitched to Spielberg, you know, and he jumped up and down and said, I love it, I love it. And then he, then one of his first things he said was, um, but I think they need to go to Spain. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, Spain? I said, Stephen, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in California. So we're, we just, we've got this gangbuster opening. We, you know, we know who our evil guy is. We know what the agenda is and this and that. And, and our characters and the Jeopardy. I said, why do you want to take them out of that and go to Spain? That doesn't make any sense. And Spielberg said, oh, but think about it. You know, uh, We could have a, a sword fight in a tiled portico. And he starts like <laughs> acting out a sword fight for uh-huh. me and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, try to make it work. So that was, a, that was another thing. Just when I thought, oh, wow, I've got it. Now he's trying to make it. You know, work in Spain, and so it's really, how, how am I going to do that? So, but I did, and this is what I did, which was that, knowing that Don Diego came from an aristocratic old, old world, old Spanish family, that even though that they had uh, migrated to California, they sent him back to Spain to be educated, mm-hmm. and so I had him that he. The backstory was that he had been a student at the University of Barcelona, whatever year it was, when Napoleon's troops came into the city and took possession of the city. And so he and his uh, some of his fellow students went underground and became guerrilla fighters against the French. Mm. And it was in that campaign 
so to speak, when, when they were fighting the French, that he learned all his skills as a guerrilla fighter and mm-hmm. sense of stealth and all of that. And I add them, there was actually, um, so when he takes Alejandro to Spain, they don't go to Spain proper. They actually go to the island of Mallorca, which mm-hmm. is off the coast, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was a secret compound there that continued to, uh, that was continued by um, a, one of uh, Al, uh, Don Diego's old cohorts that continues to, to train guerrilla fighters mm-hmm. who will fight tyranny all around the world, anywhere in the world. So he had people coming from all around the world secretly training amongst, uh, uh, on this uh, secret island compound on Mallorca. And, you know, it, it kind of worked. Um, and I, I, you know, I was kind of proud of, you know, pulling that backstory together. It mm-hmm. didn't end up in the movie, mm-hmm. but I had it in, in at least one of my drafts, mm-hmm. um, uh, if not all three. And um, that was a, that was a, it was a big, kind of a big thing. Interesting, years later, Isabella Allende published a book that was about, I think it's called The Fox or something like that, that uh, a novel in which it's a prequel to the old Zorro stuff, and that that's exactly what she, the scenario that she wrote about oh. in the novel. So yeah. uh, same backstory. Yeah, and then um, last question: um, what, do you, yeah. what, did, what did you think of the of the the final product? Then when you when you see it, or do you, and you still watch it at all, or have you seen it recently? Oh yeah, I watch it. You know, I haven't watched it in a while, yeah. but um, look, it, it, it's it's super entertaining. Yeah, uh, my my draft and my drafts of it presented a darker yeah oral. Um You know, I it, it would probably be more akin to like the Dark Knight kind of stuff, okay. yeah. in, almost in tone. I mean, there was always built-in humor uh, yeah. in terms of, of the older, you know, Don Diego trying to teach. Yeah. The young, brash, impatient Alejandro, <laughs> the ropes, but <laughs> it, uh, um, but still, the overall kind of tone was much more angst-ridden and, yeah. and stuff. It, I, I don't think it would nearly have been as, as successful. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Rossi and Elliot put a, put a real... You know, nice spin on things. Yeah. The history is totally confused, mm-hmm. uh, so don't even try to go there. Yeah. So, you know? yeah. Um, and it's—I mean, it—it it looks much more like Baja California than it does, you know, uh, sort of uh, Central California, right. or Northern California, where the actual gold rush took place. But you know, that's what you have to do when, when you're doing production. Yeah. Um, the one thing I was disappointed. And I would say that um, they they cleaned up Harry Love a, a bit too much, um, and I, I I really had him much more of a swaggering, almost kind of pirate-like quality to him. The photographs of him are real mm-hmm. interesting, bearded guy who you know he was just he was a tough, mean, um, uh, prideful Texan, you know that I just thought was like perfect for. Uh, a great villain and that and they, they really cleaned him up it was uh, <laughs> so but other than that um, I thought it was just enormous fun and, and they really cast very very well Catherine Zeta-Jones is like you know what can you say she's luminescent you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Just so um, really, really wonderful. Yeah, I think that the music really adds a lot to just the, like from beginning to end oh. is really, really good. Yeah, you know, in a lot of the, in a lot of kind of superhero movie music can be kind of cheesy. Yeah. And that actually has a tremendously good score. Mm-hmm. I've always I've always been very fond of it. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your talking to me. It was a lot of fun. And Ted Zorro is one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I definitely appreciate the work you did on it. Sure. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, thinking of me. And I'm yeah, sure thank you. It. Yeah, good talking to you. Yeah, you too. All right. All right, take, take care. care. Yep, bye. bye. So thanks again to Randall for talking with me today. Uh, that was awesome. It was really interesting to learn more about how he came up with the story. And he offered some great anecdotes about what it's like to be a screenwriter in Hollywood. Um, While covering MacGyver, I've seen several times where there's multiple rewrites and shared credit on an episode, in particular the Three for the Road episode where Carrie Linhart told me that the writers rolled a tennis ball down a hallway toward a mark on the carpet and whoever got closest got the credit. Um, So once again, Randall's website is randalljohnson.com with Johnson spelled J-A-H-N-S-O-N. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at sweeto37 at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Project MacGyver, and my blog is the MacGyverProject.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening.